Hello, and welcome to this new Global Situation podcast from International SOS, the leading medical and security risk management business. I'm Mark Frankel. This is the podcast where we provide timely analysis and tactical insight for your organization. And in this episode, we're focusing on the conflict in Sudan. Taking advantage of a ceasefire in the country, International SOS has successfully helped several clients to leave Khartoum for the relative safety of Port Sudan. Phil Nolan, International SOS's Security Director for Assistance, is based in Dubai. He's been overseeing the developments in Sudan and coordinating with colleagues on the evacuation plans from our regional security centre. I started by asking him about the challenges faced by people there. The challenges have been considerable for for those in country, um, particularly for those that have been in Khartoum and the more central locations of the city as well around the airport. And we found that a lot of our clients have been based in those locations where the fighting has been most fierce. And Phil, we have been advising clients until this stage to to stand fast and prepare for a full evacuation. A really challenging situation from the point of view of trying to organise that evacuation. Could you talk us through how we have actually been helping those clients and preparing them for that evacuation? So what we have been doing is understanding what the uh, the situation is for our clients in the locations that they found themselves in. So for those that have had limited supplies or dwindling supplies and that haven't been as well prepared in locations that they found themselves in, we have been in a position to uh, work with security partners on the ground to make supply drop runs to them. So the very basics of food and water to, in order to sustain themselves. And clearly with those dwindling resources in in the city, actually getting those resources to the individuals that need them the most has become even more challenging because of the fighting as well. So we've been supporting with supply drops, also looking to support with movement of individuals from their current location to more suitable locations within Khartoum to then stand fast again. We've been trying to concentrate our clients in in suitable accommodation, largely hotels that have access to, to more resources than they would do in a service department or, so, or in their own apartments, for example, and then preparing the the clients for evacuation. So, Phil, we were able to get a number of clients onto a bus to evacuate them from Khartoum to Port of Sudan. Could you talk us through the planning and execution of that particular convoy? Yeah, sure. So many of the international community that were located within Khartoum were notified by their embassies, by their diplomatic staff for evacuation. And they were able to make their way to a military airbase to the north of the city for movement out of the country under the direction of their their own national governments. However, there are a lot of our clients were not able to to make use of those sort of rescue flights and uh, have been wholly reliant on us to be able to get them from Khartoum out to Port Sudan for onward movement. So what we were able to do uh, yesterday is we're able through our security partners and logistics partners on the ground able to establish a four vehicle convoy from a central location in Khartoum where we staged the uh, the movement. We had 37 passengers across 10 client organizations and um, we were able to plan and execute the movement of those four vehicles across a, approximately 900 kilometers of Sudan from Khartoum to Port Sudan. Lots of detailed planning including a collection of two additional packs at a, a city called Atbara which is en route through to Port Sudan. There's an approximately a 15-hour road move for those individuals. And as you can probably appreciate, after a significant amount of time in a standfast position, 
as I've mentioned, with dwindling supplies and then to be sat on a bus for 15 hours. Many of these individuals are incredibly depleted as they've arrived into Port Sudan. Given the nature of the journey from Khartoum to Port Sudan and the length of the journey, the complexity of, of getting through checkpoints and the potential for attack and so forth, were there any unforeseen incidents along the way? Were there anything that we, we had to contend with in order to and, and tackle in order to get them through safely to Port Sudan? So there's various different ways we broke down the routes in terms of the sort of risks that you may experience along that route from Khartoum through to Port Sudan. The most challenging was the staging, actually getting people to the, the pickup point in the central location within Khartoum. There's the various checkpoints within the city, the potential for the clashes to be ongoing within the city as well. And we put a lot of detailed planning into go or no go criteria for that particular journey. There are large areas of the, the route that are um, essentially just open road and uh, with, with limited complexity, but that still doesn't take away from the fact that it is a, a large logistical move that has a lot of other considerations uh, within that. So quality of road and standard of driving. So the road traffic accident rate, for example, um, is significant anyway. So that's also contributing to the to the risks on the on the road. So as part of our planning, we also made sure that we had some kind of redundancy across um, the four vehicles that we were using. So at one stage we had mechanical issues on one of the coaches and we had to cross the people from one bus into the other uh, and continued with just one bus and two support vehicles. So that was within our planning and our understanding of what might be possible um, in terms of mechanical uh, issues. And that's uh, one of the elements that we had to contend with on that particular route through to Port Sudan. And during that convoy, during the journey from Khartoum to Port Sudan, I imagine there were people with them. They must have been both frightened and feeling quite vulnerable and, as you said, quite depleted and on arrival, no doubt, very pleased to have got there. Yes, indeed. I think the... Um... As you've indicated there, the, the amount of time that the, uh, these individuals have had to be in apartments or in hotel rooms and in some locations, they um, particularly for the, the location that we picked for this evacuation move, they were in the hotel, not necessarily in hotel rooms. So in corridors, in the conference centre, for example, waiting for the move. So, yes, access to limited resource in terms of food and water and even with access to those basics. We are talking about very, very basic elements here. So, you know, basic carbohydrate, your beans, rice and water. So the, the usual creature comforts very much out of the window here. And this is for a sustained period of time. Uh, and for many where supply drops were not possible to get supplies to them, they would have been even further depleted. So there is a, a huge element of depletion from a physical perspective, but clearly the uh, the element of the unknown as well. And for the certainly for the, the journey, that is 840 kilometres across the country, even with plans, detailed planning in, in place and with support from our security partners on the ground, there's still clearly a, a huge element of unknown in that. And that must play, I'm sure it has a huge part in the sort of the psyche of those that have been on that move. So there will be some relief for sure that they are now in Port Sudan and in relative safety. It's worth noting clearly that we are now in a position that we are looking for onward movement for those people in Port Sudan. There are increasing options opening up at this stage uh, in terms of ferries, for example, across to Saudi Arabia and also looking at other maritime options as uh, chartered vessels, for example, as a possibility through to Egypt and, uh, and to other locations. So there's lots of logistical considerations there for, for onward movement. Phil, 
I imagine there were not only um, adults on this convoy headed out from Khartoum to Port Sudan, but we've also been looking at dependents. And some people may have left people behind. They've obviously left their whole life behind to some extent in Sudan. Could you give us a little a sense of backgrounds, countries of origin, and to your last point, to their onward movement and, and how we're now looking to deal with the logistics of getting them back to their home countries? So as you probably uh, imagine, we have a, a very wide international client base with lots of interest in, in Sudan. And that's reflected very much in the sort of the passengers we had on the convoy from Khartoum through to Port Sudan. Some of our clients have been longer term assignees in country and are sort of more across the potential developments that may have taken place and have been taking place and the, and the possibility of those coming to fruition. Others have been maybe on leave as well. So visiting family members, usually based somewhere else, but now back in back in Sudan, visiting their families and have been caught up in this escalation. Others have been on short term assignments, being, being there for a three day business trip, for example, and then being caught up in it. And we've also then got a whole range of ages, obviously nationalities and genders involved in uh, in this escalation. So the complexity is about as maximal as it could be at this point in terms of understanding how to support our clients for movement within the country, relocation if required for local nationals, and then obviously for the onward movement and the most suitable route for them to get them back to their to their home countries and to, to the safety of their own home. Clearly, for each of the nationalities, they'll have their own nuanced understanding of what visa capability is possible for them in terms of being able to get into various different countries. So we're working through that complexity with them uh, to ensure that we've got the most suitable location into the next international safe haven for them, whether it's by vessel, by ferry across to Saudi Arabia, which is looking like the most likely option at this stage, or if there is the option for air that opens up from Port Sudan International. Clearly, that's at this stage the most unlikely. We're also looking at road moves to the north. So, yeah, road, air and maritime are all in consideration in terms of the courses of action and, and the planning that we've been conducting within the regional security centre to support our clients. OK, thanks, Phil. Thanks so much. Well, that's all for now. But just a reminder, you'll be able to access the latest information and updates on the crisis in Sudan from our website, internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out about our global network of assistance centres available to clients 24-7. But until next time, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.